going to start recording. Um, first things first, I always have our, our guests say their name, uh, their title, and then the organization they're representing. So go ahead and do that to start us off. Sure. I'm uh, Keith Cutler. I'm president and chief executive officer of East Hill Medical Center. So Keith, um, obviously, thank you for taking the time. Uh, walk us through what East Hill uh, is and how it was formed. Uh, good question. The, the, the answer is actually twofold. There's, there's a formal answer, and that is that uh, East Hill is licensed by the New York State Department of Health as a diagnostic and treatment center and deemed by the Federal Department of Health and Human Services as a federally qualified health center. So that's the technical answer to that question. The more practical answer to the question is that we're a community medical center that provides primary care services um, to anyone in need in the community, including dental services, mental health services, um, some specialty services. Uh, federally qualified health centers were initially formed to make sure that there was affordable, high quality care in communities for the uninsured and underinsured. Uh, that, that, um, that mission remains, but it has obviously changed uh, and grown. Uh, about one in every nine people in the country now receive their health care from a federally qualified health center. And of course, with the Affordable Care Act and the mandate uh, when it originated that people have health insurance, you've significantly diminished the number of people in a community that don't have health insurance, uh, which makes health care more available uh, really to everyone. So our mission is, is remains the same, but we do so much more than what FQHCs were originally intended to do. When you look at the gap that you, you're filling in the community that you serve, uh, what does that look like on sort of the day-to-day? I, I would imagine that some people might wonder, uh, you know, in terms of how many people you guys see on a daily basis or, you know, what the, the client base actually looks like in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, the client base has actually changed and, and probably not in a positive direction in the four years that I've been here. When I arrived in the fall of 2016, um, East Hills patient base was somewhere around 61, 62% uh, Medicaid patients. Uh, in the four years since, we're, we're approaching the high 60s and maybe even close to 70%. And, and I think that is a reflection of, of what's happened in Cuyahoga County and the Auburn community uh, specifically in terms of loss of industry, loss of jobs. Uh, you, you see that demographically the, the area is, is not getting richer. You know, as is a lot of upstate New York, it's, it's really suffering economically. So there are more people on Medicaid funded um, health plans today than there were before. Uh, that, is, that is a huge gap that East Hill fills because a lot of private practice physicians don't accept Medicaid. Uh, from a dental perspective, um, our dentist office has three hygienists and three dentists. Uh, we have a waiting list somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 or 1300 people uh, we're one of only two uh, dental providers in the entire county that take uh, Medicaid. What does that, uh, that increase uh, mean to you guys in terms of, of operation? And also, I, I suppose, just in the way you sort of forecast out into future years, when you've seen an increase, say, of, of 5 to 10% over the last four years in uh, Medicaid folks coming through, how do you sort of game that out into the future? You know, when you look at, you know, 2022, 2023, 2024. Yeah. Great question. The, um, the, the challenge is how bad is it going to get? And will the reimbursement for those services maintain pace? 
so that we can continue to operate. Now, as a federally qualified health center, we bring federal money into the community. So about 17% of our annual revenue is funded by the federal government. Uh, and that's specifically to allow federally qualified health centers to be able to provide good care to those who may not be able to afford it. So unreimbursed care. And hospitals in New York State do the same thing. Uh, they have um, lots of unreimbursed care every year and receive state supplemental funding to cover those expenses. But really it's, it's, it's a model not unlike any other business where you have to you know, be able to accurately project your revenue and control your expenses while providing a really high quality product. So it's, it's a day-to-day -day challenge. And, and quite frankly, you know, 30 years ago or so when I started in healthcare, you could do a five-year strategic plan. You, you really can't today. I mean, you're 18 months to, to three years at most uh, on a strategic plan and projections. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I'm sure, you know, a lot of the numbers that you look at on the day-to-day -day basis are sort of reflective of pre-COVID times. And I'm, I'm wondering uh -huh. how has the pandemic affected what you guys do and some of the numbers that you've either seen increase or maybe decrease? Uh, like a lot of providers, we switched very early on to telemedicine visits. Uh, we, we were fortunate in that we had, we'd been asked by the state health department um, early in 2019, I believe it was, to uh, apply for a grant uh, that would match us with a uh, substance abuse, outpatient substance abuse provider and the purpose of the grant was to give us money to begin telemedicine services to ensure greater access to substance abuse care for our patients. So we, we applied for and received that grant. So we were, by the time the pandemic hit, we were already, um, we were ready to go with telemedicine services. We had all the equipment, we knew how to use it. It was already integrated with our electronic medical records system. Uh, providers had been trained on telemedicine, were already using it. Um, though to a limited capacity, relatively speaking, because when the pandemic hit, you know, you go to almost exclusively telemedicine services. So we had, we had an early leg up because we were already prepared uh, with the equipment and the processes uh, to do that. Uh, so we, we stayed open, you know, East Hill as a federally qualified health center and as, as a diagnostic and treatment center in New York is, is a safety net provider uh, and has certain obligations to the State Department of Health. So, you know, we don't, we can't just shut down if it snows. We can't shut down, uh, you know, if there's a pandemic. Um, we don't get snow days, just like the hospitals don't get snow days. <laughs> uh, you know, where other private organizations or practices may have that, may have that, uh, that opportunity. So we needed to maintain uh, full operations as best we could with the significant portion of our visits converting to telemedicine. And that presented some really interesting challenges. How have, I'm curious, how have uh, you guys sort of dealt with the changes in the ways people uh, arrive at medical care? And, and I, I ask this because we've had conversations in the past with folks from uh, various urgent care centers. We've had folks mm -hmm. from different hospitals. And it seems like there's been this shift in sort of uh, move from like traditional primary care family medicine to on-demand services sort of in the moment, oh no, I'm sick, I need mm -hmm. to use something. How has that sort of transition in the industry as a whole affected you guys or how, has that, how have you guys seen that play out? Uh, yeah, the, um, one of the biggest problems that healthcare and communities has experienced for a really long time 
uh, is the inappropriate usage of the emergency room at a hospital, right? We're going to use this as our primary care physician because, A, we don't have to make an appointment. We can go whenever we feel like it. Um, we come out of there with free medication. We come out of there with free crutches or, or all sorts of things. And, it, and it's the hospital is the single most costly place to deliver healthcare. You, you know, so to, to keep healthcare costs down, you want to make sure that people are getting the care that they need in, in the least costly environment. Uh, which is never hospitals, ever. Uh, so urgent care centers have taken some of the pressure off the emergency rooms, but are also very expensive. And we've heard urgent care centers in, in Auburn charging upwards of 150 to $200 for a COVID-19 test. Uh, you can come here and have no copay and get that same test. What that's meant for us is that in, in order to ensure the patients get really good care, because urgent care should be just that, it should be a one-time emergency where you don't, you need the care, but you don't have access to your primary care physician. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night, your doc is closed, you're, you're bleeding, you got to get somewhere. That, that's really what urgent care is for. Uh, and, and that's it. And you're right, with the proliferation of, of private urgent care centers around the country, people are starting to use them on demand as a primary care physician. You know, you're just mildly sick and you can go to the urgent care center. What we've done to counter that is we've expanded hours. So we're open in the evenings, four days a week now, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays till 8 p.m., uh, which has been really something. People have been attracted to that. You know, if you can go see your doc without having to take time off of work, that's a real benefit to a lot of people, uh, especially those that don't have a lot of time. The telemedicine visits have helped with that. And we've done a lot of outreach and continue to do a lot of outreach to our patients to make sure that they understand you can call us. We have a 24 hour call service. If you need something, call us first. If then we tell you to go to the emergency room, then go to the emergency room. Unless of course it's a, it's a major issue. Don't call us if you're having a heart attack. That's, that's not appropriate. Um, when, when you look at uh, operationally, the challenges that, that, you've undoubtedly faced over the probably last seven, eight months, as well as looking forward. What, what are some of the big things that come to mind that, uh, that maybe keep you up at night when it comes to making sure that East Hill can keep doing what it's doing and what it has been doing? Mm. Um, it, the, the, the telemedicine visits seemed great when we converted to telemedicine and, and we thought we understood the whole process and how it was going to work. But as it turns out, and we would not have known this uh, without a, a huge transition, at least temporary, temporarily to telemedicine. What we learned was that the community wasn't prepared for it. So when you have a rural community like this, where you have certain pockets that don't have internet access, have very limited phone access, and is, is a relatively poor community, some of the things that we ran into with telemedicine were um, you know, in some households, there's five or six people living there and they only have one cell phone per household. And if it's your turn for your visit today and somebody else took the phone this morning, you're done. And a lot of the households, their only means of communication and accessing the internet is a cell phone. They, they don't have tablets. They don't have computers in their homes. Uh, other households, we, we experienced um, uh, use their phones with purchasing minutes. And then he said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to spend the money or I don't have the money to spend on minutes for a doctor's appointment. I'll, I'll spend my dollars buying minutes for, for other things, but not for doctor's appointments. 
So to me, there, there's probably going to be a much more permanent shift in the way care is delivered based on what we've experienced over the past seven months and the shift to telemedicine. Some patients loved it. A lot of physicians here and at other practices really enjoyed it. It has its limitations. You can't put a stethoscope to somebody's chest, yeah. you know, over, over a cell phone. How, so how does an organization like yours contend with some of those outside factors that you mentioned before that, I mean, frankly, are completely out of your guys' con- collective control? They are. Uh, the, the shift has come more recently in healthcare with the uh, emphasis on value-based payment. And changing reimbursement for healthcare services from fee for service, you show up, you have your doctor's visit, the doctor bills, you get paid and you move on uh, to ensuring that the whole patient is well and reimbursing healthcare providers for how well they keep patients. So we've instituted uh, a lot of steps to make sure that our patients are staying well outside of the visit. Uh, we have folks that call them regularly, check in on them, make sure they're going to get their, their mammograms. Um, make sure they're getting their blood work when they're supposed to be getting their blood work in between appointments. We recently hired uh, a young lady who just graduated from from school with her master's degree in public health. Uh, There's nothing that she does that I get reimbursed for. It's a hundred percent expense, but her sole job is to take our patient base uh, and make sure they're better uh, in between the office visits. And we're going to be doing a lot more over the next several years in terms of patient engagement and getting patients to think about their health care in between those doctor's visits. You know, it's sort of like going to the dentist, right? You, 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 nobody flosses before going to the dentist. And then the week before you start flossing, my dentist actually told me that. He said, you know what? If you floss two weeks before you come in here, I won't know the difference. <laughs> so, and, you know, we all get that, geez, you need to floss more. Uh, and that's really what it is. It's patient engagement in between the visits and getting people to pay better attention to their health. And that, that takes a lot of resources. It takes a lot of time. Uh, and fortunately, as a federally qualified health center, we have access to federal and state money that other healthcare providers don't. You know, we have grants that are available to us. They're only available to organizations like ours. Are you, my last question for you, um, yeah. are you worried at all about the, the money that federal and state entities may or may not have in the coming years because of the pandemic and because of the, the realities that it's brought on uh, in terms of, of what reimbursements you will get in the future versus what you have historically received? Yeah, without question. Uh, our, our, our federal grant money that we receive every year comes from two different sources within the federal government. Uh, it is, it is there no means 50-50. Uh, it, it's about 70% from one and 30% from another. Uh, and that 30 per, or the one that provides us with 70% of our federal funding expires every couple of years. And it's an act of Congress to reinstate that funding. Uh, so that's probably the biggest source of, of, um, of angst that, that keeps me up at night is it, when you're talking about 70% of 17% of your total revenue, it's a big chunk of change. So as I realized early on in my time here that that, that was very um, not stable, and, you know, it's something that could expire and did expire at least once since I've been here um, and had a gap of, I think it was four or four and a half months before it was reinstated by Congress uh, where payments were zero. Uh, 
I, I said, we, we need to diversify our revenue sources. We need to pursue other grant opportunities. We need to make sure that we're also offering services that have higher margins and we can build a stronger revenue base uh, at the same time keeping our expenses down. We can't, we can't depend solely on one source of funding. It's, it, we wouldn't be here if we did. And uh, where can folks learn more about East Hill and, and maybe get involved or help you guys out or uh, just learn more about your services? Sure. Uh, the phone number is 315-253-8477. And you can also go to our website at easthillmedical.com. Keith, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, taking it. Thanks, Josh.